Hello and welcome to the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. The Oregon Wine History Archive is located at Linfield University in McMinnville, Oregon, and is dedicated to preserving and sharing the Oregon wine story. This podcast shares these stories through oral history interviews we've conducted throughout the industry. Please enjoy today's episode. My name is Rich Schmidt. I'm here with Travis Todd. Uh, we're in Stoles, I guess, Oregon. Uh, it's June 25th, 2021. Travis, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, and uh, first question, as you know, biggest, biggest, most important question is why wine? Why wine? Man, you know, wine is just, it seems to be this, this perfect kind of cross-section, or, you know, intersection of, of history, culture, art and science that just if you're like me and we're a bad student um, and you couldn't focus on any one thing it's it's just enough of a bunch of different things to to kind of put together and and maintain interest uh, while trying to do something and, and have a job you know it's not just it's not just here's this thing that you're gonna do every day is different um, on every scale of the of the industry you know it's not it's not it's it's interesting you know on the retail restaurant consumer side it's interesting farming and growing starting from start to finish there's so many different facets and it, it really is a kind of the ultimate team sport from from one end to the other um, that I don't think you know about until you start doing it you, you your interest gets peaked in in one place or another um, as you as you can kind of see from the backgrounds of all different people uh, as they kind of come here um, and find themselves in the wine world that there's all these things that there's so many different things that kind of interlock uh, in, a, in a very interesting way that can peak the science nerd and can peak the foodie uh, can peak the farmer you know all these interests all these interests become peaked um, so I think that's why I mean I, I think I never had a good I, I was never that good at focusing on that many things anyway so uh, it's kind of kind of good uh, ADD look at all these different things and, and and try to see how they all fit together take a step back and look at it all so I think that's a uh, that's what that's what kind of drew me to it um, you know I, I, I worked in restaurants um, just like anybody else that doesn't know what they want to do uh, for their life so in, uh, in 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 that that's where I kind of got exposed to wine and started getting to taste really unique stuff, really important things in the historical context of, of wine. Um, I was working at a, a really fancy resort, so I got, I got exposed to a lot of really unique wines from all over the world, and it, you know, why is this important? Why is this one better than this one? Or why is it different than this one? And that kind of, that's kind of how my route started. Um, and then it went from I, now I can see that these things are different. Um, how do how do you do that? How do you get the best thing out of it? And it went from being interested to being interested in in what these things were to to being interested in how these things are done. And that is how I I kind of transitioned into from restaurants and um, into into this crazy world uh, on the on the production side. So tell us a bit about life before wine. Uh, where did you grow up? Uh, kind of education, and what did you do after high school? Yeah, so I grew up in North Carolina in a town called New Bern. 
which is about an hour from the from the beach. I went to school at East Carolina University. Uh, I swam in college, and uh, again, I was a bad student, so that 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 lasted about nine years, and then uh, <laughs> and then. Uh, I moved out to the beach and was working at restaurants and uh, renting kayaks and sailboats and surfboards and kind of had a little side business that I was doing and uh, didn't do very well at all. So uh, there's not a whole lot of uh, potential, um, you know, income in the winter in North Carolina. It's not like Florida. You don't have a year-round beach. So in the winter, I uh, got a job in Montana, moved out to Montana. Um, loved it and ended up staying stayed for 10 years and that's when I was working in I just got a restaurant job I was ski bumming I was skiing during the day and working service at night um, and got to you know again got exposed to all these great wines so during that time um, I ended up being the wine buyer at the resort so I, I kind of just kept diving in and expanding my knowledge and, you know, rough life of skiing all day and then uh, trying to read a bunch and, and figure out a whole bunch of things uh, on the wine side. There were a lot of things that were, you know, uh, I, had a, I had a book that had maps, you know, of course, and uh, when I'd run downstairs to try and see what out of this million dollar wine cellar was someone had ordered that maybe, you know, maybe the inventory was wrong before then and I'd, you know, I'd, I'd kind of dive through the book and see what was near it and go off oh, I remember that one from inventory and I'd grab it and then go up and try to shake off the fact that I'd been sweating uh in front of the in front of the table trying to figure out what they what they ordered that we didn't have so uh so it was a crash course in learning like kind of regions and where 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 all these things were and how they're connected and what the soil type was and you know what's comparable um soil type might not be comparable producer related those things could be next to each other and and could be you know a similar uh terroir and and different winemakers get different things out of it and that that kind of started to amaze me um then i got the opportunity in 2014 to come out to pinot camp um which was an amazing experience um thanks to whoever started doing that um you got a you got a great employee out of it um so i i came here in 2014 did that and i mean that's an immersive experience that is really take somebody from the restaurant level and, and really shows them the nitty gritty of, you know, in a whirlwind of a couple days, all the way from, from, from the earth to the glass. Um, so that kind of piqued my interest. And then uh, I was working with someone who had come from the Oregon wine industry. And she said, you know, you, you really seem like you'd like production and you would, you would, you would thrive in that environment. So, um, she helped me get a job on my first harvest in 2014. So came out in, in 2014 for Pinot Camp. So immediately uh, sold, you know, like this is, this is the spot. Um, so she helped me get a job for harvest. So I came and worked on the shoulder season of the resort after summer uh, and before, you know, before Thanksgiving where it starts snowing and we get back to skiing. So I came out and worked at uh, wine by Joe and I mean I, I honestly just fell in love with it. it was it was the most fun I'd ever had working 
the hardest I'd ever worked for the least amount of money that I've ever made. Um, and I really liked it. So I guess, I guess that says enough. If you, if you come out and work harvest and, and, uh, you know, decide you want to stay in that industry, uh, even, even though you're making not much money, but, and the hours are long and crazy and you're wet and there's bees and you're tired, uh, and you still want to do that thing, I guess, I guess that's a good way to figure out, uh, what you want to do. So, um, I did that and then I went back to Montana and kept working in the restaurants and, you know, all the while thinking like, that's the thing that I would want to do. I, I mean, I, I, every time I'd get fed up at work, I'd say, oh, I'm just going to work in a big one. And people would laugh at me. Rightly so. Uh, I think they're still laughing at me. Um, but, you know, so then go to 2017 and I was, uh, I'd saved enough money to kind of quit working in the restaurant for a little while and figure out what the next thing was going to be. I, you know, I'd had a job offer to sell wine, um, with a distributorship and, and, you know, I looked at my, my then girlfriend, now wife, and, uh, she said, what, what do you want to do? What would you, what would you want to do if you could do anything? I said, I would go back to Oregon and work at a winery. And in some context, I didn't really know what it was going to be yet. I just knew that I wanted to be here because the, the community, um, I'd been to other wine regions and not that they're bad, um, but I really felt the sense of community here that was different than other places. Um, so she said, let's do that, which is crazy to me. Um, and I'm glad that she did because she really, she made the moves to get us here. So, um, so in 2017, we packed up in March, moved here. March 27th, and then we, I ran into the, the old cellar master that was my boss, and he said, we're hiring somebody in the, in production, um, like 10 days after we'd moved here. It was, it was very, uh, serendipitous, and he said, we're hiring somebody, it's an entry-level job, and we don't pay very much, and I said, well, that's unfortunate, but I'll, I'll do it, um. So I started with zero experience, just working in the cellar and being a, a cellar hand and doing whatever the bosses said and um, just trying to learn. You know, I, I, I just wanted to, to learn and, and I wanted to do it for myself at some point in the future. I didn't know that. I didn't know how I was going to get there. And, uh, you know, the wage certainly wasn't going to help me get there, um, <laughs> you know, but it was incredibly fun. And, and I think when you're filled with a the opportunity to learn and you're working in, a, in an industry that you want to learn it doesn't feel bad you are um, you can learn as much as you want as long as you're paying attention I kind of equate it to to learning music you uh, you can figure out a lot from just knowing a, a few things you know you can infer a lot um, and then luckily because we're in Oregon you have a bunch of people that you can talk to about it and that's probably the biggest, the biggest uh, contributor to, to my growth um, is the number of people that I've been able to be surrounded by, friends, coworkers, um, you know, that once those discussions start, you're really able to, to uh, you know, get to the nitty gritty of things and, and, and see things from, from other people's uh, perspectives and how they understand it and then you think about how you understand it. And I feel like in Oregon, it's, it's with, with the community of winemakers that, that are around here, you know, 
it's really fomenting a lot of growth. You know, we can all do the same thing. You could take the same grapes that I get, and then from that moment on, they're they're gonna taste different. You know, it's not a there's a lot of methodology that's involved, and what you do is gonna be different than what I do. What any other winemaker does is different than another winemaker. And hearing how they think about it really just kind of sharpens the knife. And, and uh, you know, I think I think the Oregon wine industry as a whole really benefits from that community aspect. It's it's pretty it's pretty amazing. So we'll back up for one second before we get into that some more. Uh, tell me about you mentioned kind of sort of learning wine on the fly or learning about the regions and varietals and the types of wine on the fly. Tell me about that and, and how, how long the process took until you felt fairly sort of fluent in that language. Oh, I still don't think I'm fluent in it. Um, you know, it's it's. I started putting it together with people that were that were buying it. So, you know, once I was smooth enough to sell them on the thing that they didn't originally order, I started to learn what people liked, and I really used that. Kind of once I had them in my, you know, in my little hospitality uh, nest that I could, you know, that they trusted me, um, that I wasn't going to bring them something terrible. Um, and by the way, there were no terrible wines there, so I really couldn't have struck out. Um, so, so I was lucky in that in that in that instance. But I started, you know, looking at it and saying, hey, you know, John comes in every week. He likes Napa Cab, for example. Okay, well, let me. I would use that opportunity once it once they you know kind of gained gained my trust or I gained their trust. They'd come in and, and say, Travis, just pick me out something. You'll do fine. And so I'd I'd go down and I'd, I'd say, all right, well, he likes this thing, and then I read that this is a similar thing, and and kind of try to put all these things together either through tasting notes, which aren't that helpful, but um, you're looking at soil structure and do they like it to be fruit forward and, and wines that I tasted through um, you know either events or, or distributor tastings. Um, and I, I started putting those things together and say, oh, this guy, I know, I'm, I'm going to pour this for him the next time he comes in. And I would kind of take those opportunities to learn about it. And, or, you know, Northern Rhone Syrah, which is probably my favorite. Um, you know, having a, having a, a quiver, if you will, uh, of different wines to say, you know, um, I'm going to bring this one out and see if he likes it. And the nice thing, too, is that it was a nice resort, so if they didn't like it, we were going to take it, you know, we are going to take it right back and, and get another sh- another shot. And in that case, I would uh, I would learn two things that night. Um, so it was... Uh, I, don't, I don't know if I could put a timeline on how long it took, um, but I started to understand quickly how these things kind of work together. Um, and then, you know, and then looking at diving even further and one one more layer into into what producers were doing and then just you know trying to get as much information as I possibly could about it and um, you know then yeah that's a on the restaurant side I feel like that's a that's it's, it's hard to say how long it took because I don't think you could ever get to the end of it I think that's that's probably the bigger fascinating thing is that it's this isn't a thing where you're gonna go Oh, now I know how to make wine. It's like it's over. You know, I've, I figured it out, everybody. It's okay. Um, you're never going to say that statement, ever. So every, every year is uh, a new set of challenges. And some of them are ones that you never even thought of. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's pretty wild. Uh, so, yeah, I don't think you ever really get there. Um, 
I don't think you're ever really comfortable, especially after, you know, going through 2020. There's, you think you've got it figured out, and then you have a pandemic, and you have to keep people away from each other while they're at work. Uh, it's kind of insanity. So, uh, I'm still not comfortable, Rich, is the, is the, is the, is the short answer, I guess. Uh, fair answer, for sure. <laughs> uh, Tell me about, so from both your perspective on selling wine to customers and also your perspective of buying wine for a restaurant, for a wine list, what did you find the kind of the key factors or what did most people care most about when it came to wine? Was it the region? Was it the bridal? Was it the producer? Was it the story? Was it the label? What was most important across the board when it came to choosing wines to buy? That's a great question. Um, you know... In all of these experiences, I have to say that the most, the thing I've recognized, I guess, is wine is the exclamation point on a really good time, um, on a on a on a great event, on a you know a graduation, a marriage, a, a a great day skiing, and the people that you're with. You know, very rarely are you opening a bottle of wine by yourself and going, mm, "Yay, I'm going to sit here and drink this by myself." You know. I mean, I guess you could, but, uh, you know, it's generally the kind of, the thing that draws me to it is that the, it's always this com camaraderie aspect. You open a bottle of wine and you're sharing it with people. You're usually having dinner. Um, or you're, you're, you know, you're, you're just kind of celebrating something that happened. Um, and that is kind of the biggest piece for me that, that, that draws it all together is that you have, um, you remember that you remember the wine you drank because the people that you were with and the thing that you did that day. You know, I think that's that's probably the easier way to boil it down. Um, and you got to have this cool, this experience, this unique thing from some other place in the world or from from right over there. Um, after you did a thing with some people that you like, and it, and it could be anything, you know. Um, so in buying wine, you know, I I think you sometimes want things that are prestigious or there's a lot of things you can chase there. Um, but at the bottom line, and I think any winemaker would tell you this, if you like it, you should buy it again. If you don't, then don't. And there's so many different things out there that, and no one's wrong or right. They just are, they just are, you know. Um, and finding things that people like and connecting them with it, with that on the, cons on, you know, on the sales side, that's awesome. And that feels really great. And they say, Travis, do you remember, you know, years, years down the line, I said, Travis, do you remember you brought me this, you know, this, this bottle of wine, um, you know, when we, when we had dinner that time, it was really amazing, and I'd never even heard of it, and didn't know where it came from, and, you know, you're in Montana, of all places, and you've got this killer wine list, you know, how does, how does this happen, and really, it's just about kind of spreading that around, and, and having a lot of options, and then when you, when you kind of find that synergy with a person that, that's ordering from you, uh, it feels really good. And now, taking it to the winemaking side, if you can make a thing that people like and enjoy and say, you know, hey, that wine, you know, that was really great. Uh, what, a, what a fun time. You know, we've had people walk around the, the vineyard and meet up here and, and uh, you know, say, man, that, that you know, I, I was drinking the wine from the vines right here while we walked around. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a, special, that's a special experience, and they remember that forever. And I think that's the thing that, that they're, uh, that that's probably the, the biggest piece of, uh, of what I think people are taking away with them when they're here, you know, um, they're remembering that and they're, they're taking it with them and, 
and uh, you know, a special experience is really important. You mentioned kind of the, the your first harvest experience and, and, and loving it despite all of the reasons you might not because of the time and the money and, uh, and the effort and all of that. So tell me if you can if you can remember back to first harvest. What were the what was the attractive part? What 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 drew you in, and what made you want to do more? Yeah, so you've got a group of people trying to accomplish a thing that is being done in a timeline that is outside of you. Um, it's agriculture. When they're ready, they're ready, and they're coming in, and you almost feel like, you know, I'm sure that a fisherman would laugh at me if I said this, but it almost feels like deadliest catch uh, with less money and the same amount of wetness. Um, so you've got, like, you know, you've got your crew of people, and you know that this stuff is coming, and you're going to put your head down and do it until it's done and that feels really good you know um especially at a place like Dobbs where we were doing you know I think we ended up doing I don't know I mean over 2,000 tons that year um which is a lot and it's just it's non-stop and it keeps coming and you, and you get to see it and and that was a really great place to work because it wasn't stagnant you weren't just doing this one thing all day long you were doing this and then you were pivoting and doing this and, and I, I got to see a lot of different pieces um, and you're working together to, to accomplish a goal you know it was a, a big a big piece of it again is the kind of the camaraderie part you, you look over at your buddies that are working and um, you're all working as hard as you can maybe on maybe on different things there's probably one slacker you probably hate that guy but he's probably funny um, you know he, he gets away with it and uh, so you know it was kind of that entire the entirety of it and and I think I've always prided myself on being able to, to put my head down and say, well, this is the thing that we're going to do and have a good attitude about it. And, and that felt good. You know, it felt good to, to watch all these things come in and, and go through the process. And then you start putting things away and cleaning up. And, and there's a, a, a nice kind of like uh, culmination of things, if you will. And then you leave as an intern and you, you don't think about it again. And then um, you start working in the wine industry for the rest of the year. And you go, oh, my God, it never stops. Um, it's actually, it's actually not just harvest that's crazy. It's everything. Um, so it's a, it's a, you know, I, that, that was a big piece of it and watching things change as well, you know, when things come in and, and then you start fermenting and you go taste and you, you, you know, especially as an intern, you don't, I don't think you get that opportunity that often, um, to just really go through, especially at the big places. Um, but if you do, you know, you seeing those things as they progress and change especially if you're coming in as an intern and you are interested in it if you come in as an intern and you just need you know a, an hourly wage and you, you don't care then you, that's a different that's a different experience um, but if you are a person that's interested in the wine industry and you come work a harvest you can take a lot out of it uh, just from things that you glean um, and you can ask the questions but sometimes you're too busy to ask questions so you kind of have to like I had this notebook that I would just like write down things and then I'd go I'd, I'd, after uh, after harvest and I'd slept for two weeks I figured out you know I'd, I'd find a book and try to read it and say you know oh that that must go to this you know and it's really just an inquisitive piece um, that I think if you are inquisitive you um, you won't always get the answer but you you can uh, you will just keep wondering I don't know once once the switch is turned on and you've caught the bug it's it's over and everybody that I know that's done it has been the same way and said well I guess I guess I'm stuck doing this now because I 
I want to keep trying to figure it out, which is the fun part. Tell me about your initial impression of Oregon wine, uh, both before you got here from the wines you had, had, had tried and, and, and served, uh, and uh, first impression of the industry once you did get here. Okay. So I, I lucked out, and the, and the guy that was the wine buyer before me, maybe even like two or three people before me at the resort, he had invested heavily in 2007s from Oregon. And so this was in 2013 and 14, and I started tasting those wines with a little bit of age on them. And they were just, they were just beautiful. Um, they were delicate and nuanced and pretty, and they had great acidity. And 2007, I guess now being, looking back, being a pretty cool year, um, that was the thing that, that started to draw me to it. I said, oh, there's a thing going on here that's different than other places. Um, and luckily I had all these 2007s to taste uh, in the cellar, which was, which was insane. Um, and so that, you know, tasting through a, a huge number of those kind of got me peaked on Oregon wine. Um, you know, I, I love all different styles and kinds of wines. Um, and it just so worked out, in all honesty, that I couldn't work a harvest in California no matter what, because in Montana, our season hadn't ended. So I would have had to just quit in the middle of it, which they, they would not have been super happy with. Um, so, uh, so, you know, it ended in September, so it was like, well, the natural place to try and go is, is Oregon. Um, so it, it kind of, th that happened kind of in, in luckily, you know, it was almost happenstance that, that I was able to go to the place where these wines that I'd just been turned on to, uh, it all lined up, the stars aligned perfectly. And so then when I was out here in 2014, just talking to people, um, you know, people were kind of talking about the 2011s being similar. And so while I was out here, I just went, I was, you know, on my two days off, I went to tasting rooms and asked if they had any 2011s and people were like, well, yeah, we do. I, you know, I think we're holding them for a little while. I was like, can I please have some 2011? <laughs> so I was uh, going through, this is like right off the, you know, the heels of the, the 2012 vintage where people all wanted the 2012s right away. So I, uh, I, I felt lucky to have gone through and I still have a bunch of those wines. Um, got a, uh, yeah, I've got seven or eight that I'm, my wife gets mad at me. She's like, we have to drink, we have to drink something sometime. We can't, we can't keep it all forever. Um, but I'm kind of trying to save like a special night to, to, to try them all with a bunch of people in the industry. Um, so, you know, that, uh, that's how I got kind of turned on to Oregon wines was seeing that, that beauty and the nuance, um, from a from a, a wine that maybe isn't approachable super young um, but what kind of staying power they had and that was the you know things that things that go well with food have always been the the kind of focal point for any wine that I'm usually selling maybe it's because of my background in selling it at dinner um, it's hard to sell uh, porch drinking wine at not dinner um, you know which has its own place uh, but you know that drew me to Oregon um, and then after getting here, that was the second part of the question, right? After getting here, um, you know, it's just <laughs> every growing season that I've had since I moved here in 2017 has been 
pretty different. So that variation, um, I think is welcome. And I think, and I think kind of, uh, makes us a little bit better. Um, you know, I, I try to think of it as, you know, I think what Oregon always tries to, to, to lean on is, is, you know, different vintages are different. And I, you know, I don't think I, my coworkers make fun of me because I always say this, it's not a recipe. We're not making cookies, you know, we're making wine and there's a, a set of decisions that have to be made all the time. And it's never the same. And it's never, Oh, you just do this, you know, kind of how I talked about earlier. Um, but that, you know, I see that and I, and I think that it's good. I don't think that we should be trying to make something that does taste the same every single time. Um, you know, I know that there's consistency of product and you, and, and you want it to be uh, good year to year, but I think that good is different than, than different, you know? Um, I, I think that, I think that we should embrace, embrace the differences in vintages and, and, uh, the more the consumers understand that, the better off we all are, you know, there's a, there's a big piece of, um, you know, I think people that like Oregon wines recognize those things because you can have a 2011 and it's very different than a 2012 and they're both great and they're both good. And maybe later on they taste even more different. And, you know, I think, I think that's, that's very important to me in showcasing vintage and, and, uh, vintage and sight expression, you know, and you've got wines, um, you know, very large volumes of wine that take a big, a big snapshot of, of Oregon that are, that are great, but you see that difference in year to year, you know, it, it is a, there's a, there's a, a, a bigger difference in even growing regions. You've got some Southern Oregon fruit and the, you know, now the gorge is getting planted a little bit more. Um, you know, you've, you've got all these different places that have different growing seasons as well. So when you make an Oregon appellated wine, um, you're really taking a picture of the entire thing. And I, I feel like that's a, that's a, a bold thing to carry the flag for, you know, is a, a lot of times that those, those entry level wines are the first wines that people drink from Oregon. And if, if, you know, if we're not doing a good job with Rascal, um, you know, it, uh, it reflects later on, you know, we, uh, we want to turn people on to, to, to Oregon wines in general and, and people, especially once you catch the wine bug, you're uh, you're going from the the entry level wines and you're starting to get it you know you're starting to get excited about it and you go oh well this is different oh okay now I'm gonna go to this next thing and this next thing and the next thing and the next thing and it keeps on going forever I mean I remember when I was trying to learn about wine getting you know starting to buy Southern Rhone wines um, where you could have you know Grenache and Syrah and then sometimes Cuvette but you know seeing how those two things work together and the Grenache was kind of the acidic piece and Syrah was kind of the tannic piece and and I would I would try those and I would you know seven bucks a Jabalay or whatever it was it was affordable also to try and learn so kind of trying to teach your palate hey this is how tannins work hey this is how acidity works and then getting another bottle the next day it was also seven bucks and flip-flopping the percentages to get to 60 40 the other way and then oh well, this is a little bit more you know this is a little different than that one and, and how those things work together and then try to figure out a balance understanding how your palate works is the most important thing um as a as a as a drinker and uh or i guess a consumer maybe i should say as a consumer and as a as a winemaker i mean thinking 
thinking about it in terms of what is it that you want on the production side? What do you want? How do you get there? Um, and then on the consumer side, what do you want and how do you know what you want? How do you know how to get the thing that you want? Um, so it's, it's kind of a, both those things are, are an education piece that, uh, that I think, I think are very similar in your brain. Um, so you mentioned uh, you, you came back out, you got your first full-time job. Tell me about uh, the, the first time post-harvest. Tell me about the rest of the year and kind of your impressions, and then sort of take us through the places you've worked here and okay. the positions you've had. So the first full-time position, so I started working in the cellar making Rascal. Uh, the company, overall company, is called Integrated Beverage Group, uh, which sounds very very fancy doesn't it um and so that has now kind of grown into this thing uh i was lucky to 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 be at a company that was growing so quickly so we we increased rascal um i don't know the volumes now that i think about it but we doubled in capacity the second year so (laughs) so uh i'm not sure what the case volume was from 30 to 50 maybe um so the 2017 vintage, um, we went in, had a good harvest plan. Everything was chaotic. Uh, we had help from interns, of course. And then when the interns left, I realized how many things I had to clean up uh, by myself. I'm just kidding. Uh, not really, though. Uh, you know, you, you, you try to tidy up these things as best you can and, and, and put a bow on it. And then, um, you know, the real grind starts and you're working in a cold cellar oftentimes alone um and trying to you know keep everything clean tidy um and keep the wines going in the direction that the winemaker wants so working as this working as the cellar hand um you know you're just keeping your eyes open and trying to do you know the carry out the vision of the winemaker um, and I think that's an important thing to pay attention to as a seller hand because, you know, you might make different decisions. You might think that you know a lot. You probably don't. Um, I didn't. I, I thought I did, but I, I certainly didn't. And I, I, you know, I think knowing where to say, I'm going to listen and I'm going to learn these things. And I'm going to watch and we'll find out if it's the right decision. Um, and I don't think there's any real right ones. I think there's just different ones. So, um, I just always try to keep my keep my eyes open and, and say, hey, why are we doing this thing that you just told me to do that I probably didn't know how to do because I had no experience. Um, and I had great teachers to, to, to show me along. So, um, you know, that was, I had that job for two years and then I was named Cellar Master. Um, IBG then purchased Duck Pond. So we moved into the Duck Pond facility after the 2018 vintage from the the facility we were in in McMinnville. Um, so we kind of merged these two, I would say merged the brands, but we, we brought two brands under one roof uh, for production. Um, and I'll tell you what, if you want to learn a lot about a winery, you should move one. Um, that's, a, that's a very interesting uh, proposition. Uh, so I came into, into that duck pond facility. Um, after the 2018 vintage or harvest. Yeah. It's, 
crazy to think back now uh, in the before times what it was like. Um, yeah, so I guess it, uh, yeah, after, so early 2019, I guess. Um, so early 2019, uh, so I was, I was cellar master there, and that's, that's when I started Dalebu um, as kind of a side project to, to, you know, when you're the cellar master, you've got a lot, and a lot of organizational pieces. You're not making any any huge decisions. I mean, um, you're executing a lot of work or, or help getting you know helping filter through. Especially when you grow. I mean, when we started, when I started working for Rascal, it was just three guys in a warehouse making a ton of wine, um, and we were proud of that. And we were we were super excited that it was like we wore it as a you know a chip on our shoulders. Say we we do it we do more than everybody else. Uh, not volume wise, but with three people, you know, uh, we were proud of that. So. You know, then moving over to to, to Duck Pond facility and, and you know, IBG, we make a lot of different wines. We'll probably probably be over three hundred thousand cases next year, which is crazy of a bunch of different brands. So it's hard to it's hard to know where, what uh, which pieces kind of fit together in that. Um, but in twenty nineteen, I kind of wanted to you know to do a thing that was that I had kind of control over maybe not control but I wanted to do it and learn for myself and and, and make mistakes and, and and kind of figure those things out because um, I was executing a lot of things so I had I had good fundamentals but I didn't know exactly what um, you know I knew what I wanted to do uh, I just didn't have the opportunity to do it yet so I I uh, I bought some grapes um, and I uh, figured, figured I'd give it a whirl. Um, so in 2019, that's when I met Doug here. Um, I, I, there was an ad. There was an ad up on Wine Business that said, you know, a couple tons of grapes were for sale. So I came here, talked to Doug, loved the site. We're at, this is, the bottom of the hill is 700 feet. This is 800 feet. So high elevation, good acidity, again, with the, uh, the food-friendly wine aspect. Um, you know, I just, I fell in love with the place and I, I said, let's buy some grapes. Um, so we did that and I made that at day um, because I didn't want it to be, we, it was, it was going to be our first vintage in the new facility. I didn't want to be in the way or be getting yelled at by, you know, people that I should, you know, you should be doing the other work. Um, so on my way to work, I would do punch downs and then on my way home from work, I would do punch downs and kind of just like did this extra thing uh which now seems insane um you know and and so on that harvest uh my only day off that i took during you know like 60 something days of harvest i came here and i picked my own grapes uh which was which was uh, a really fun day uh so that was it was even longer than uh than a regular day of work would have been but it was super fun and um you know, it was it was great to 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 watch that happen and, and get to pay attention to it. And it was a, it was kind of like a Zen time after work. You know, I'd go to work. On the way there, I'd, I'd have I'd be you know drink coffee and get ready and take the temperature and um, you know, see how things were going and then get to work and then process hundreds and hundreds of tons and then go back and take care of this like two tons that I did uh, myself. So that was a that's kind of how I got into into that. So I guess I I. I made myself a winemaker before anybody else did, um, just to 
just to start. Um, then, yeah, so that was in 2019. And then in 2020, in June, so about a little over a year ago, I was promoted to winemaker at Integrated Beverage. So for, I handle the wholesale wines, Duck Pond, Rascal. Uh, there's a pesticide-free brand called Life Fine. Um, another brand called Chime. Um, I don't even know the other ones, to be honest with you. There's, there's like, there's several. We do some custom crush stuff for other people, too. Um, so, yeah, that brings us to, uh, to now. So, De La Boo is in its second year, um, and we added Chardonnay. So, uh, we got some Chardonnay from Gregory Ranch, which is a beautiful site, um, and incredible, uh, incredible fruit. Pinot, we get some Syrah from the Gorge, from Lonnie Wright, um, who's a great, a great character, um, and then, yeah, Pinot Noir from Vista Grande right here. So, uh, expanding a little bit. De La Boo's gone from 150 cases to 2020 Vintage will be about five, between five and 600. I can't remember the, it's hard to tell the cases when it's in barrels and you're still topping it and you don't know where it's all gonna go yet. Um, so, yeah, and then uh, we'll keep going this year too. So, um, it's a lot of things now that, I, I haven't thought about it until right now that you sit me down and ask me. I'm like, man, that's a lot of stuff. <laughs> you just get tired thinking about no it. Wonder my, no wonder my wife's mad at me all the time. I'm just kidding. She's the best. Uh, she dragged you out here in the first place. So. She did, yeah. She said, this is the thing you want to do, so you made your bed. <laughs> no, she's uh, she's she's the best. I mean, she, I, couldn't, I, couldn't, uh, I couldn't do it without her, that's for sure. So you get dropped into a place like Integrated Beverage, and you're in the middle of a rapid growth, and so you're you're learning, but you're also like seeing scaling. So tell me about how you see a place like that scale, and then when you come come in as winemaker, what is your role as a winemaker when you're talking about that much wine? Man, a lot of it is just systems thought, process management. You know, a lot of winemaking. I think from the small scale all the way to the biggest wineries. It's all about process and having your good checklist of, are we doing all of these things? Are we hitting all these places? Because once you miss something, it's, it's gone. It's, it's spiraled out of control quickly. Um, and so I think that's the bigger piece. And, and how do you get a group of people that maybe aren't gonna do this for a living forever to, to all go in the same direction? Um, I think when you get to the large scale, um, or even, I mean, anytime you're working with a group of people, how do, you, how do you take these folks and say, hey, look, here's the thing that we're going to all try to do together, and I, we absolutely can't do it without you. I mean, uh, I, I know that everybody, we always make fun of Harvest interns, but they're imperative, and we can't do it without them at all. I mean, there's no way that I could do any of the volume that we're doing without having help. And so, you know, um, figuring that out and then figuring out how to, to get them to learn to do it and care and, and take it step by step. Um, I think that's the biggest thing, you know. When, when you're looking at humongous volumes of, of, of grapes and wine, um, you know, you've got to, you've got to make sure that you're, uh, that you're paying attention to all these things. And there's so many wines in there sometimes that you, you don't even, you can't remember it all. You've got, to take, you've got to take good notes. You've got to have good data. You've got to, 
you've got to sometimes be able to look at the numbers and then remember what that what that tank was and and you know it's almost impossible to see every single bit of it um so that's probably the biggest challenge um but it's also the funnest challenge you know um most of it if we did nothing most of it would just start fermenting anyway we just want it to ferment the way that we want it to so that it doesn't go completely sideways and turn into vinegar you know um so how, how can we how can we do that and then how can you get your you know a group of say 20 people to all move in the same direction and uh you know it's very easy when you're doing two tons of grapes and you go i'm just going to do punch downs the way that i do them now, how do i get now you don't know who's going to do the punch downs tomorrow you don't want one guy to just do punch downs he'll die or he'll quit um you know so, so you gotta you gotta rotate everybody around a little bit and and when you do that you know you get different results so how do you how do you have your systems and programs in place to to get the result that you want you know um that's that's probably the you know the biggest the biggest hurdle um and the first two weeks nobody knows what they're doing anyway even us uh it takes a little while before it's in rhythm and then by the time you get really good at it you clean up everything and they leave you know uh so it's a it's it's a pretty Harvest is my favorite time of year for just for all of these reasons. It's dynamic and, um, yeah, it, looking at looking at the scaling of those things, there's just a lot of you, you need to have you need to have thought time. Um, I know that we're always we're everybody in every winery is always so busy doing doing work that it's difficult to have that thought time, but I think that's the most important piece is to have the thought time and say, all right, this much stuff is going to come in. How do we get it through this bottleneck and out? And that answer is not always clear. Um, and oftentimes takes some resourcefulness. Um, and there's no, way, no better way to learn than when you have hundreds and hundreds of tons of fruit on the deck and nowhere to put it. Uh, and then you figure it out. And then you've got people grabbing buckets. No, I'm just kidding. Um, you know, it's, a, it's figuring that out. Uh, is the hardest part um, but you make a harvest plan and then you ball it up and throw it away because it never works out perfectly um, so kind of I can't remember who it was uh, some famous general said planning the plan is useless planning is indispensable so I try to think of it that way um, going through the motions of what are we going to do and then being ready to pivot um, so you bring up a good point, and I think it's one that is overlooked a lot. You, you have a lot of help from people who are not necessarily as invested in the project and the success as, as you are. People who are, like you mentioned kind of earlier, are going are gonna to walk away at some point in the process and leave you with the... So how do you get that buy-in? How do you get people functioning together, working in the same direction? What, what, are, the, what are some of the, 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 the successful uh, leadership qualities you have, and, and what are the, the strategies you employ? Tacos and beer. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, it's helpful. Um, you know, I think I got a lot of experience in this um, through, I was a camp counselor when I was young for about seven years. And then uh, you, you guys are going to go backwards and add up all the years that I'm saying now and realize how old I am. Um, you know, that experience was great. And then, you know, working in restaurants for as long as I did, you know, it was often the same. You have people that are doing it while they're in college or, you know, um, 
on their way to doing something else or you know they do that so that they can save money and do this thing they can only have to work three days a week or whatever so you know I think people have to have that kind of like small piece of, of quality control of their own already and you've got to figure out how to turn that on for them you know it's a you know I, I don't want anybody to be stuck anywhere I want I want people to, to be in our orbit for a moment and and then you know we catapult them onto the next thing and you know that's really important to me so so finding out what people want to be doing even though this might not be it and and you know it's different for every person it's, it's, it's always a challenge I think I think it's a big piece of winemaking um, especially on the large scale because you know you've got you've got some places that are small and they can take take their time to do a, a you know as many things perfectly as possible um, which I don't, I don't think you ever really get to that but you can have you know, if you have three interns that are all like, I want to do this thing, that's a different thing than having 20 interns that maybe just need a job at this time. Um, so trying to kind of look at that and, and, and turn people in the direction. And, and you know, you've just, you've got to be, um, you got to be proactive and you got to, you got to give them a reason to want to be there. And if that's going around and tasting every once in a while, then that's what it is. If it's, you know, you you've got to give them something that they're going to get out of it, even if it's not the thing they want to do for the rest of their lives. Um, and I think that's, that's true with anyone or anything, you know, um, you think back to your favorite teacher. What does your favorite teacher do? Like, I mean, coach Matthews, uh, I loved AP us history because of coach Matthews. I guess I still a little bit love history, but it was because of coach Matthews, you know, and, and what did he do? He made a thing that was, um, you know, probably really boring to some kids really interesting to me and to a lot of other children too um you know uh, so i i, I kind of like look at, at the people that inspired me to do something um and try to dissect it back to how they got me to do it um yeah i don't know the answer to be honest with you rich it's a uh, that is the constant challenge i mean it's 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 you know tell some good jokes uh be empathetic and, and listen to them when, the, when, when, when there are things that are going on that are, that are difficult or hard and understand that. Um, and, you know, just try and share that whole experience. I mean, uh, you know, it, winemaking, it should be fun. A harvest internship should be fun. It should not be, you know, we're soldiers and you have to do all this, you know, to get through it. Like, it's fun. We're making wine, you know? Like, it's not, you know, at the very basic level, we're kind of factory workers, you know? Um, you know, no, no one probably wants to wants to hear that, but you know, maybe change they, maybe ch- they need to, change the nuance of, of, of the, the you know, everybody thinks it's it's like oh you make wine you walk around and just drink wine all day, you know, uh, it's 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 a little bit different than that, and you know I think, yeah I don't I, I don't know if there's a real solid answer of 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 how you do it or why I'm good at it, or if I even am I guess maybe you should. Maybe you should do this with interns. Um, Exit interview. Yeah, you know what, what what was good with, you know that that you learned or that you did, and you know every work is always going to be hard, but it should be making wine should be fun, it should be a fun thing to do. It shouldn't be shouldn't be stressful. It shouldn't be too too crazy. Um, although it often is both of those things, uh, you got to be able to to laugh at it um, and have a good attitude. And you see a mountain of grapes showing up. 
can't laugh and go, oh, I didn't know that was coming today. Uh, you know. <laughs> you talked earlier about one of Oregon's kind of qualities being the sort of vintage variation and, and, and not, not, not knowing the challenges ahead of time or the, or the what's happening with each vintage ahead of time. And how to be able to do it. Tell me about, especially as you're making a larger and larger quantity of wine, tell me about showcasing vintage variation over various brands, various various styles of wine, how do you ensure, what, what do you try to do to make sure that each wine is still an, unquestionably a 2017 or a 2018 Oregon wine? You know, I think there's a lot of different ways to approach it. You can, especially when you're looking at the large scale, um, you can take things as individual tanks and say, I want to make this as a component of this. Or you can say, I want to make the very best wine I can out of this and then hope I can blend it with something later. So there's there's kind of two routes you can take. And I think that it you only you only really know after you have a ton of experience. Um, I don't think I figured it out yet, in all honesty. Um, I, I think I think we need to be humble and say, say when we don't know. Um, you know, I try, I've tried my very hardest to listen to, um, you know, peers of mine and make the best decision for each lot that's coming in. And sometimes that's a different decision for the different thing. And, in, and when looking at a, a large scale, you know, I'm going to have acidity components. I'm going to have, uh, you know, structure components. I'm going to have components that, that maybe, maybe get, maybe see more time with oak. Maybe don't, you know, depending on the year and what, what kind of try to listen to what's provided, you know, by the, the site and then lean into that, you know, um, that's kind of where I am in, 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 in terms of, uh, my winemaking style is, is, you know, you just, you get that, you get that from experience and there's certainly mistakes that, that I've made and, uh, you know, Every year you look back and go, all right, I wish I'd done that thing different. I'm going to figure out how to do that thing different this year. And, and, and not that it was wrong, but, you know, um, do it different. And, and, and I think eventually you work with the same sites over and over and over and you get that familiarity with it. And, you you know, like anyone else that's done anything a bunch of times, you get that muscle memory. Um, you're able to say, I know that this site comes in. I know what nutrition it has. I know, uh, you know, where it is and if it's thick skin, thin skin, how how the fruit looks, how the fruit uh, behaves once you start fermenting it. Um, you know, so it's, it's all learning experience. I mean, it, every, every single year I think it is. And, and when you go to make those decisions, um, you just gotta, <laughs> you gotta, you follow through. Once you, once you've started to go in that direction, you kind of have to, um, keep going. Um, you know, knowing, knowing when to turn around, of course, it's like, it's like riding down a hill on the brake. You know what I mean. If you if you plan for it and you know what you want to do, you can ride down in first gear. You don't have to ride the brake the whole way down. And if you don't make the right decision, you're riding the brake the whole way down. I've done that a bunch. So uh, you know, uh, it's, I think it's a yeah. That's a great question. It's it's, it's interesting to to think about. I think when you're making that when you're making a, a large amount of wine, that I don't think there's a right answer for that. I think it's I think it's a Especially when you don't know what's going to go into final blends, you know, we take in a whole bunch of fruit and then we go, all right, now it's time to make Rascal. What's that going to be? 
I was trying to make Duck Pond, you know, and it's not in that order, I don't mean it that way, but, you know, trying to think about how are we going to live up to the rascal, you know, kind of name and, and, uh, and, and be, be fun and approachable. Um, you know, it's a, it's, it's been a great place to learn a humongous amount in a very short amount of time. I mean, I, I, I'm humbled every single day because I, there's so much that I don't know. Um, and, you know, a good group of people that, that I, that I lean on when, uh, when I don't know that'll answer me. Um, hopefully they haven't been giving me the wrong answers. I guess we'll see. Uh, no, I'm kidding. It's, it's, a uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's a difficult, uh, that's a good question, Rich. Well, thank you. I'm flattered. I don't know how, I don't know how I do it. Uh. You give a really good answer you know, for not really for not really knowing. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you just you just have to. You're always trying to figure it out. Like I said earlier, you don't. No one gets to the end. It's like, well, this is how you do it, and then you just do it. You know, it's a, it's a, it's always, it's more about methodology than it is about recipe. It's it's, it's, what are we going to do with this? How are we going to go with this? And then you run into the other variables too when you've got, you know, a lot of stuff going on. You know, do I want to let this sit for a couple of days? Um, you know, do I want to be more extractive? Well, I can't because I got 200 other tons coming tomorrow. I need to press it. Oh, the press is already running and the, that schedule's backed up. So a lot of times you're just doing everything that you can and then trying to figure out, you know, how those things can fit through. I mean, you think about it. I mean, it's, a, it's it, it kind of turns into a big machine sometimes. Um, and, uh, Again, I, I, nobody ever wants to hear that when they're talking about wine, but it's usually just Lucy stomping grapes in a bucket. Um, so anyway, the for all you young kids out there, that's an iconic part. You should you should watch it. My mom still asks me. She says, "Are you stepping on the grapes?" Like, no, we have machines. Um, <laughs> you know. So I, I think it's a um, yeah. You just you just you're just trying to do what you can you can never do what you can't if that's not there then it's not there you can't you can't do it uh, uh that, that that's a phrase that drives my coworkers crazy um but yeah you just you have to take all these pieces and put them together at some point and you try to make the best wine you can out of each individual one or you say i want this to be extractive or sometimes you say i have to make this extractive because i've got a, a log jam at the press and maybe the press is broken that day or you know there's there's any number of things that are uh you know, the winemaking part's easy, fixing stuff and, uh, you know, knowing how to troubleshoot all these, all these contraptions that we've built, uh, to be able to do this job, um, is a, is a whole nother piece. You mentioned with, with starting your own project, De La Boo, uh, I mentioned with starting that, that you, you kind of had an idea what you wanted to do, but hadn't really had a chance to do it yet. So tell me what your what your process was, what, what, what you wanted to get out of De La Boo, um, and tell me about getting it started. You mentioned you bought some grapes. Tell me about the rest of it, uh, of figuring out a name, figuring out a label, figuring out what you wanted to do and how you were going to sell it. Tell me about, sure. about getting it off the ground. Um, yeah, so what I wanted to do, I'll start with that. That's a, that's a bunch of questions in a row. Okay, so what I wanted to do was I wanted to make some single vineyard wines um, that showcase just a particular site. I, I, my experience had always been with doing really big blends. 
doing all of these different things and saying, what about this, what about this one thing? What does it have to offer and what can you get it to do? Um, and that was the main focus. Um, De La Boo will always, very likely always be single vineyard. Um, that's the showcase at least, you know. Um, on our small scale, we don't have a bunch of, a bunch of fruit to blend around. Um, so it's kind of, that's what it was about. It was about taking some, some, some place that we really liked and working with it and I want to do it for a really long time and just kind of back what I was just telling you about. I want to know that place. I want to know that site. I want to have a lot of experience from this place. Um, you know, and then all the next places that we find and they're never going to be, they're never going to be a, a, a giant volume. I mean, this is a, the, the site that we farm is two and a half acres. So there isn't going to be more, you know, it's not, we, we can't make more of that thing that isn't, isn't available you know so it was it was about finding like small places um and and really highlighting that i don't think any of the vineyards are over five acres total i guess gregory ranch is a pretty big vineyard but we only get two tons from there so the the chardonnay block of of gregory ranch is only i think only about two and a half acres so um it was really about that. It was about finding these little places and, and, and getting a lot of experience and saying, hey, you know, in 20 years, I want 20 years of experience. I don't want 19 years of experience, but, you know. So it was it was about just kind of let's bite something off and see what we can do. Um, now, the way that we got to that, um, I'd made a little bit of wine on the side that was some fruit uh, that was dropped off to us to see if we wanted to buy some fruit and made a little bit of it and then uh, I brought some to a Christmas party that a friend of mine a friend of mine's sister was having this is a guy that I hadn't seen in a number of years uh, we met now 10 years ago when I was on a road trip uh, where we drove down highway 1 Started in Olympic National Park and drove all the way down to LA and then went over to Joshua Tree, the Grand Canyon, and then came back up to Montana. Um, and so my friend, my, the guy that I did that road trip with, he called and said, hey, Chris, who's one of the guys that we stayed with on that trip, is coming out. Uh, he wants to hook up um, and, and see you. And so he said, hey, I'm, I'm gonna be at my sister-in-law's house. Uh, we're gonna make some pizzas and um, he's a, He's a pizza. He's a pizza chef. So he uh, he said, "Come on up, um, bring some wine or whatever, you know." And so we went up there, and I brought some wine that I had made, kind of hobby wine. And uh, we just kind of were talking, and he said he was like amazed that it wasn't terrible, um, <laughs> which I, I'll take as a compliment any day. Um, he's like, "This is really good, man. You like you should like do this." I was like, "Well, I'm trying to." Um, you know, and so he said, let's, why don't we like, let's brainstorm and get together and like figure this out. And like, you know how to do the thing. Um, and I'll just be like the support of you. And, uh, you know, I said, that sounds, I mean, that sounds great. Uh, I'm going to try to convince you this is a terrible idea every step of the way. And if you still want to do it, then if it still makes sense, then let's do it, you know? And so we, uh, we put together a couple thousand bucks, um, and bought some grapes and we got the license and we did the thing I mean it was it was almost like 
how do you start a winery? I don't know. Let's start a winery. And then every step of the way, just asking questions of people and how do we do it? And how are we, how is it legal to do this? How, how are we making sure that, that, that we're not going to get in trouble? And, and, you know, how do you go through the OCC and the TTB and the, like, we didn't know any of this stuff. I worked at a winery. I knew how to like smash it and, you know, turn it into, turn it into wine. But I, I had no idea how many other things that there are. Um, so we just started making a list of things and saying, all right, you're going to run this down. And he would run that down. And I'd say, all right, I'm going to run this down. And, and, and we just, we just step-by-step put it together. Um, so in our first vintage 2019, it's so, it's so crazy to think about that that was pre pandemic, uh, was when our wine was going in the barrel and we bottled it last year, the 2019 vintage we bottled in first weekend of December, 2020. Things were vastly different in that like, in that year, um, from when it went into the barrel and when it when it went into the bottle. Um, but yeah, we just uh, we didn't know we didn't know what we were doing. I mean, I, you know, we knew enough, and, and we're we're smart guys, and we could we could follow the checklist of things. But a lot of it has just been, how do you do this? Ask that question, throw it out there to the universe, and. They would have come and told us if we were doing it wrong. They would have, I mean, we probably got arrested. I'm just kidding. Uh, you know, we just kind of, yeah, we just asked that question. What, how do you do this? How do you do this? We want to do it. Um, and then luckily, um, people helped us out, you know. Brianne Day was a huge help. She, she set us on the right path to, like, you know, making sure that we were above board and, and doing all the right things and provided the space and, um, you know, all the other guys that were there, uh, Eric Berg, who's great, um, Ross Maloof, he's been a great resource. I mean, you know, all these people uh, have have really been, you know, there to say, hey, I, I remember when I didn't know how to do it. I, you know, somebody told me, so I'll tell you. And uh, we kind of followed that that uh, that mantra. So if anybody wants to know how to do it, it's a very long story, and uh, I don't know that I, I, I don't even know that I'll be able to give you all the answers to be honest. But point you in the right direction there's some attorneys that uh, I can tell you to talk to I'm just kidding um the uh <laughs> the yeah, there, there is a lot of legal weird things that you have to do I mean, it, it is it is it is not just start making wine um, all that paperwork side is, is difficult and uh, if you're a person who moved here to be a winemaker you are generally not awesome at paperwork Figuring that stuff out is, is uh, was much harder than making the wine. And then you got to get labels, and you got to do, you know, you got to go get those approved and go through this whole thing. Um, so that every step of the way, we've said, I'm not sure how to do this. Let's attack it from a problem-solving standpoint, and then you know, figure out how to do it. And sometimes you have to wait, and you uh, you have your friends and family who say, Hey, man, I. I was going to buy some wine from you, but, like, where is it? Gotcha. The labels, and, and they don't understand. They don't know. You just have to say, it's not ready yet. Uh, that's, the, that's the best answer you can give. So, um, yeah, that's been, that's been a, a super fun piece of the, piece of the, of the journey. Um, and has done pretty well. I mean, we sold out the first Vintage 2019 is, is, is gone, um, sadly. 
because uh, I think it was really good. Uh, I liked it, so I guess I guess that's all that matters. I would have been able to drink it if nobody else wanted to buy it. That's that, that was the main point. Um, but yeah, we've uh, and now we're expanding just a touch, and uh, you know, who who knows where the future lies. Um, I certainly don't, but I'm, I'm optimistic. I think it's going to be good. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm, I have to practice humility here. I, I, don't, I don't know how to... I, I like it. I think it's good. I hope people like it. Um, yeah, we got 2020 in the, in the barrel now, and 2021 uh, is growing right behind us as we speak. This place is really unique, too, because... After buying fruit from here for two years, Doug, the owner of the property, he asked if I wanted to help farm it. So now I'm doing another thing that I didn't know how to do before very recently, uh, which is help take care of the vineyard. So I am uh, helping helping out here, this, which has slowly become my favorite part of it, I think. Um, it's really fun to be... You know, from where I, where, from where I came from at work, uh, you know, Grapes, grapes come from trucks. Uh, you know, we know that there, there's a vineyard somewhere out there, but it's like that's somebody else's job. You know, you don't worry about that. Um, so it's 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 been kind of neat to be able to grow with Doug here and say, hey, I, you know, first of all, yes, I'd love to help out. Uh, and now, how many more things I'm learning just from walking up and down these roads and touching the vines so many times. Um, you know, it's a uh, it that's this has just been a, a, another facet and just trying to like keep put thing, keep putting things on to, to understand more and more about the industry and, and learn more. And being a guy that doesn't have a huge amount of experience, you know, there's a lot of people that have, a, you know, way more experience than me. And I'll be the first person to say that. Um, but I will say that I'm absolutely one of the most eager people to, to keep learning. Um, you know, so any, any, any opportunity to glean some information off somebody that knows something, I'm, uh, I'm happy to, uh, especially about grapes. You guys will have to teach me about the audio, video stuff later. Um, yeah, absolutely. Or, or, yeah. <laughs> that's, the next, that's the next thing I want to do. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, this, so this is, this is uh, 2021. We'll be De La Boo all the way from grapes into the bottle, um, you know, learning a lot along the way. About, about the name and, and about coming up with it and about uh, the kind of label design, kind of the, the, oh, sure. the, the aesthetics of your brand. So De La Boo comes from a French slang. It's from a larger phrase called Nostalgie De La Boo, which direct translation is longing for the mud. Um, the slang interpretation of it is a return to simpler times. Um, so you know, what we kind of thought about in that is, you know, we get a lot of rain up here in the, in the winter at least. Um, you know, you can't go anywhere without, without getting mud on your shoes. Um, so it's kind of like tongue-in-cheek. Also pays respect to the French. They love that. So uh, if we can, you know, give pay them some respect. Because, I mean, what we're doing is Pinot Noir, Chardonnay, and, and Syrah. I mean, that, those are, those are, those are uh, heavily rooted in, in the French lore. Um, so we kind of pay them a little, little tongue in cheek, uh, respect. And then, you know, it's really just about 
kind of dialing it in and doing something that's that comes from the ground you know um you know there, there's a there's a you know a simplicity to it but also it's it's vastly complex and, and i think our overall uh our overall mindset is that it's not you know the land isn't just a, a commodity to use it's not like you know hurry up and get as many grapes off of it as you can so we can you know make more money or, or whatever and you know using up all the nutrients in the soil i don't think it's a good way to, to go about anything um you know so it's it's about trying to trying to have these small sites that, that farm responsibly and, and um you know want to use the land and then leave it in a better place for the next people that come along you know I mean, that's really important to us um is i think as we've as we've all watched uh you know farming has changed um in a lot of different ways some for the better and some for the worse so you know i i I try to think of it as a you know responsible farming is kind of a covenant between you the consumer and the land and, and, and what can we get out of this but not to the detriment of it not being a sustainable thing that continues on forever so um that's kind of the the overall big picture thought of of what De La Boo is is uh you know it's about it's about the mud um you know uh, it's uh I have friends that when I first when I first came up with it they were like that's awesome and hilarious um you know but it I I really do I really do believe in it and I, I think it's a I, I think it's a, a a real way for us to think about it and what we want to be doing um and being able to to now start farming you know is a uh, has kind of all culminated and come full circle because in all honesty we bought the grapes and we didn't know what our name was going to be we just wanted to do it and then the further we went you know by the time we finally really came up with our name we were in it had been a year you know um and it's like what are what are we what are we going to do with this like i think it tastes good what are we going to do with this thing are we going to you know it was like at that time coming up to 2020 i was like we're going to do that we're going to buy grapes again you know like yeah i think we should and then Oh, now now it's a real thing, and, and it was, you know, maybe just—I wouldn't say that it was just a test, but it was kind of a, you know, let's see if we can make something that's good and that and that we like and that people would like, and in a very small volume, and people did like it, and now it's gone, um, and now it's been this whole thing. So, so trying to think about it, like, you know, I, we always had all these thoughts in mind of what we wanted to do, but we didn't know how to put it all together in, in a thing, and and uh, we came across that fl- that phrase. Um, it kind of just, it just kind of popped out, you know, it was, a, um, yeah, it was one of those, uh, those, those kind of, uh, interesting things. So I guess, all right, back to our label. <laughs> that, was the, that was the question. Maybe we should put a chicken on it. Um, we went really, uh, kind of like the use of negative space. Chris's wife is an artist. He's, uh, he's my partner in this. Um. And she does amazing uh, charcoal drawings, um, I, among other many other things. Um, and she's an artist in the in a, like a real way. She's like a real artist, not like she draws. Um, she's like an actual artist that is in you know uh, galleries and, and such. So we're trying to try to try to think about like how we're going to do this and and what is it going to be? Are we going to draw a thing? Is it going to this or that you know and what we kind of came up with is just a really simplistic charcoal drawing and so um you know the there's a slope that's drawn on the label and that slope actually mimics the 
east to west um, variation of the vineyard. So when you look at the Pinot Noir, it has a dip in it because there's a dip in the vineyard right over there. And when you look at the Syrah, it's, you know, it, it, it has a mimic of that slope and it's done in a, there's no way I could ever, ever do that. I mean, like, oh, it's just a, it's just a drawing that goes like this. It looks so good. Um, she's, she's so talented and, and she's, she's taken things where we say, okay, this is, this is, this is everything we think about. De La Boo is this, all the stuff I just described to you. And then she shows us a piece of art and it's like, you, you actually drew what I was thinking about. Um, and I guess that's, you know, good artists can do things like that. You know, it's a, it's like you look at it and you go, this is exactly like, this is exactly what we are. And you, we didn't even know what we were until we looked at this and, and it's the thing and you don't like, it wasn't even like, do it again. It was like, this is, the, this is it. This is the thing that, this is the thing that it is, you know? Um, so it's it pretty, pretty remarkable, uh, you know, how that kind of came together. Um, and we just try to be really, you know, kind of clean and, um, I don't think you need that much on the label. I, I, I feel like, I feel like when I find things that have a lot of stuff on the label, they're trying to say too much. I don't know. I, I'm trying to think of the polite way to say it. Uh, I just, I just think that it, it's what we're doing is so small. It's, it's special to us. And, um, you know, especially when you're on the small scale and you try to try to expand and do more, it just it, things become complex so quickly. So just try to keep it simple and and uh, and pretty and artful. We're lucky we have a good artist, you know, uh, on retainer. <laughs> so we talked earlier a bit about about 2020, and I, I'm kind of want to capture sort of the the, the, the the dueling parts of 2020. That, that, that so let's start with with COVID first. Tell me about sort of initial reaction. Uh, as both personal and professional, what changes did you have to make? How did you adjust it? You work at the winery, uh, and, and how did you see the industry uh, adjust uh, for last year? Oh man, there's so many, there's so many places to go here. Um, you know, when the lockdown started and we were deemed essential workers, um, the traffic was a lot better. It was a lot easier to get to work. Um, no, I'm just kidding. It was it was it was it was pretty miserable. Um, you know, being unsure of what was going to happen, I think, was the biggest was the scariest piece. Is is like, you know, you guys remember when it was the the, the very first like, okay, no one go anywhere, close everything. Uh, I think I don't think there's anybody in the world in in the world that didn't think, uh, you know, things are about to be very different than they were. Um, you know. Luckily, we we work usually the full time year round staff is pretty lean. There's not a whole bunch of people around, and you know, being in a big winery like we are, we're able to stay away from each other pretty, pretty easily. Um, you know, so that didn't change too much. But then going into harvest, you always you always have a harvest plan, and you say, all right, this is how we're going to do this. And then you add on top of, on top of that, now keep people apart. Now what if what if you have an outbreak? you close a winery in the middle of harvest how do you what does that look like are we going to get our friends to come in and work that are also working at other wineries no so we we had to figure out how to be really sure that we were going to be able to keep people safe like i said earlier like harvest is supposed to be fun um how is it fun if you like 
everyone has a six foot pole that they keep each other away with. So kind of trying to come up with, with creative ways to, to, to make sure that, that everybody's safe and that we don't lose anyone, um, you know, and that it did, you know, it's not happening, um, at work, you know, and that changes the harvest, the harvest intern experience too. You know, a lot of, a lot of times it's, what's fun about harvest is that you, there's a bunch of people that come in into town or into the region from a bunch of different places and, and they meet each other and they have fun and they remember that experience forever. You know, and now it's kind of like we're taking that a little bit of away. Also, there's no, there were no international interns. Um, so it really kind of changed the dynamic um, of Harvest with just the pandemic. Um, on top of which, our wine's still selling, is the tasting room is closed down, is that, you know, there's, how are we going to go about this? How, you know, how is, how is this new brand that we created going to, how are we going to sell that now if restaurants are closed? Or, you know, it's like, I know a couple people that work at restaurants, maybe they'll buy some wine. You know, how are we going to do this now? I don't, I don't know the answer to that. Um, you know, and then we started doing virtual tastings and that worked out. And we did, we actually did uh, virtual barrel samples, which I don't, you know, which now that I think back is like, it's kind of insane to do. But if nobody could come to the winery and taste out of the barrel, which is always a cool thing um, to see it in, in, in the midst, you know, we started doing that so that uh, the people that were interested in, in our small project uh, could come along for the ride. I was like, I didn't want to make them a wine that was like a, you know, I didn't want to blend it together to be the, the, the best representation at that time. I wanted them to taste a raw product that was like, this barrel is different from this barrel. And here's a sample, and this is not a finished product, and I, I can't wait for you to get the finished product because it's going to be so much different than this, and I, I, I want it to be interesting for them to, to come along for that ride. And so we sent out all these, you know, barrel samples all over the country, and uh, which now seems kind of crazy too because, uh, you know, but it was, it was really fun. And then, you know, we, we had people on, on Zoom, which is a thing that I didn't know what it was until last year. Uh, I guess much like, much like everyone. Um, so for our small brand, it was very different because when we put it in the barrel, before we ever even bottled it, we did, you know, it was like, yeah, we'll have a bunch of wine and we'll just go, like, go try to sell it. Now I had to figure out a different way uh, to do that. Um, so that was, that was quite interesting. And then, you know, luckily for, the, for my full-time job, uh, you know, making wine in that fashion, uh, and for those markets was, is incredibly successful at this, at this time. So, um, we just got busier. Uh, it was, it, which is different than a lot of places and, and, um, you know, I, I know a lot of people were, were hurting and struggling and, um, you know, it just is, for the whole of the industry, it's not not super duper healthy. Uh, but, you know, we've come around uh, and, and things seem to be getting better. As you can hear, the uh, traffic is much worse and there's beeping going on and uh, everything's back. Um, and, you know, as we go into the summer, I guess things kind of lighten up anyway. But, um, you know, going through last summer and, and it being kind of crickets around, uh, as we went in and came up with a plan, you know, the last thing I thought we were going to be doing is walking around with the health department to make sure that we were doing the right thing. We had hand sanitizer and spray. And luckily, sanitation is a huge part of, of working at a winery, so we have plenty of things to uh, to, to to sanitize with. Um, 
but you know like one person can be on the catwalk at a time I mean that we had to put all these crazy things in place you know um, that we never would have thought of so it's it's prepare for you know over 2,000 tons of grapes coming in and then layer on uh, you know a bunch of um, you know OSHA guidelines on on keeping you know beyond just regular workplace safety um, how do you how do you keep your your workforce healthy um, it, it was certainly a challenge and a struggle but we found a lot of things that, that were good that came out of it we put people we had people be in pods so you had like this group of people like let's say that there were four people that lived together they're they're a unit you know and if they get sick like all we'll use is, all we'll lose is that and they're gonna do this thing you know um, and then they got you know they got really good at doing that thing and so it kind of it started to streamline a little bit better you always want people to get a, a lot of experience and move around and see everything um, but we try to do that but with with groups and kind of in pods and say hey here's your pod you're gonna be over here uh, here's your table there's waters and cooler and, and all that stuff and like this is this is like your team's area um, and you know again a lot of it is outside and our building is really big so it wasn't as difficult it was always you know uh, try to make sure there's good good airflow through and but it was a, a whole nother set of things that you'd never think of um, and then you know in the midst of all that planning uh, we had we had some fires uh, which was like oh good another thing um, oh good now we now we all can't be here because the air quality is too bad you know um, so yeah, it's just another another crazy hurdle to jump over and, and not knowing what we we're going to do with the fruit and what you know I mean our, our biggest concern at that time was not just you know oh no it's smoky was you know the farmers take all the risk uh, that's a difficult thing to think about um, if we don't like it we say uh, we don't like it and we just reject it um, so we as a company uh, really went out of our way to say you know are you insured uh, if you're not insured we'll take the fruit and we'll have to figure out ways to mitigate whatever down the road but we don't want to leave anybody hanging I mean you don't want to leave anybody hanging when you've got to talk to them in January about next year um, and that's not the only reason you don't want to leave anybody hanging because we want to be good people um, and, and work with them year after year but you know, they're the one. They take all the risk, and that's a that's a that's a scary proposition. I think that's any farming. You know, um, so you know, watching that happen, and then driving around the valley to to try and get samples and see what what's the most affected, what's the least affected. Um, you know, there's a. I mean, it's such an un unfortunate event. I I don't I I still don't quite know what to say about it. I mean, I remember we were pressing. Chardonnay when it when it erupted in the huge way and we were watching it go over us and it was like oh it's gonna blow over us great ah, don't worry about it back to work everyone and then you know the next 10 to 12 days that followed were just uh you know difficult and un and we were so uncertain what we were gonna do uh, you know it's a, a good a good learning opportunity and I think I still don't know what you're supposed to do when this happens. Hopefully, uh, hopefully we can we can not have it happen again. I don't. Know. I guess 
because hoping isn't the only thing that we can do because um, that's not going to work out that well um, but you know we uh, we'll try you know I think I think we just need to take a long look at what we're doing to the to the uh, to the earth you know um, if it takes a wake up call for like this it's unfortunate but um, you know we just we just got to keep going um, California's been dealing with it for a long time so there's there's a you know I hope hopefully it doesn't become the norm and hopefully is a, a a large scale event that that isn't uh, that doesn't replicate but it was it was difficult it was a hard um, those two weeks when we had no clue what we were going to do was uh, frustrating <laughs> you can make a plan all you want and then and then it just goes it goes into nothing so we pivoted and uh, we got through it I guess uh, we, we put out our first Pinot Noir February 26th um, this year which is a short turnaround time um, I think it was okay I mean I think it was good you know um, but that was a scary thing to, to be doing About the, you mentioned kind of your initial impressions of Oregon wine. Uh, talking about, and I haven't been here that long, but talking about the changes you've seen in Oregon wine or the things that are different now to you than when you first got here. And, and as, as, we, as we start coming out of the pandemic, what do you see happening next year? What is Oregon going to look like? Oh man. I don't know. I think it, having only been here for four years, it's, I mean, it changes every year for me because I, I feel like I've. I feel like I've hit stepping stones in a quick way. Um, that it it is always changing. I I don't think I knew enough about the industry to be honest with you at the beginning when I got here to say, oh, it's the, as a whole industry, it's changed in a great way. You know, I mean, I was a, a an hourly guy making not a lot of money doing a task. Um, for me, it's been good because. Um, we've moved into a new facility and, and, and things like that. So, you know, I think, I think the growth, um, the growth curve is, is very steep right now. Um, I mean, especially for our company, I, I think for a lot of companies, I mean, I think as Oregon continues to grow and, and finds its, it's kind of, uh, next footing, um, you know, there's, there's going to be a lot of changes. There's, there's going to be a lot of different things, coming into the into Oregon that weren't here before uh, I mean I think one thing that makes Oregon very unique is I don't remember the exact statistic but you know it's like 80% of wineries are less than 10,000 cases you know I think that's uniquely Oregon um, nowhere else everywhere else is like why are you doing that that seems insane but you know I, I think especially with Pinot Noir you, you you get more variation in every in every site than you do with a lot of other grapes um, you know there's a there's a there's a, a big difference in, in just right here versus right over there. Um, and so, you know, 
that's very interesting. I, I, I feel like I can see, you know, larger companies coming in as well. Um, you know, we look at, we think of ourselves as not even ourselves, but anybody that works at a large winery, um, you know, what's, we make 300,000 cases. That's a drop in the bucket compared to other regions. I mean, that's, it's nothing. Uh, there's, there's tanks in California that hold our whole production. Um, and we're thought of as a, as a very large player. Um, you know, I, I feel like there'll probably be, probably be some more of that, but you know, the plots in Oregon are also not huge. Um, so I, I think, I think the way that Oregon kind of, what I see for the future is, um, what else can grow here? You know, I think, I think Pinot Noir is, 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 is my favorite grape um, and I think is the most fun to make wine out of but I, I also see the potential for, for some other things what else are, what's the next thing that we're going to go for I don't think we can just keep planting Pinot Noir everywhere um, I mean I know we'd like to but um, you know I, I think I think as we move on from generation of winemaker to generation of winemakers and there's always kind of this continual thing like where what what's the next step that we're going to take uh while still trying to keep it, you know, Oregonian. Um, what's the pioneering spirit next? Um, especially as things change, you know. Um, it was always that it was too cold here to, to plant Pinot Noir. And somebody planted Pinot Noir and it's fine. And now maybe it's getting too warm. Um, you know, what, what's the next thing that we're going to do? And that's difficult because you always want old vines. If things change too quickly, then you, uh, you know, you've just got to, you've got to pivot and change, change your approach. And maybe we're picking earlier. Maybe we're, maybe we're, uh, you know, how do we retain the acid if we, if we, if we like acid? How do we build structure, but not too much if we like structure? Um, you know, and I think that's a question for every winemaker is, is just, how are you going to adapt uh, to the, to the changes? Um, and it's not just changes of climate is it's you know year in year out 19 was kind of a cool year 20 was a hot year this is really hot how are you know i think you're always going to be making those decisions um but i'm interested to see what what uh what the new the new crop of winemakers kind of says i think i think some other things can grow here we've already got like some syrah and tempranillo growing in southern oregon and some up here as well uh, i think cameron has some nebbiolo i mean you know i want to see i want to see folks I want to see folks kind of pushing the the boundary a little bit of uh, that's the chicken. It's like your chicken. You won't plant that. I bet you won't. Um, you know. So yeah, I think I think that'd be that's going to be really unique uh, for the future. I, I I love Pinot Noir and it's it's absolutely my favorite. But I'm I get really excited when I taste things um, that peers of mine have made that are that are outside the box and you go, oh man, that's really cool you got to do that thing. You know, it's not just, it's not just Pinot Noir. Um, you know, growing with Chardonnay a little bit and then, um, you know, um, Leah Jorgensen's doing some really cool stuff with Cab Franc. Um, you know, there's just a bunch of really unique things that are, that are, that are out there and, and trying to see those, uh, you know, see what other varietals can grow and, or cultivars can grow and, and uh, you know, what we can do with it. Whoa. Look at these guys. Anyway.
What about for yourself as you look, as you look ahead? Uh, you got obviously have, like I said, the, the, the full-time day job, you got your side project. What are you kind of looking forward to as you look ahead? Uh, any new other new projects on the horizon? And, and wh <laughs> where do you see where do you see yourself going? I don't know. Uh, crazy. Um, no, I think you know for for this for De La Boo, um, you know the dream the dream to move here was always you know hey maybe we can get a piece of land and and do this thing ourselves. Uh, that's the long term goal. How long that takes, I don't know. Um, I also didn't know how to start a winery though, so so maybe sooner than later. But um, you know, ideally, it, I, I'd love it to be where I could have one foot in the cellar and one foot in the in the vineyard. Um, that would be the dream. Uh, however long it takes to get to that, it probably probably be a while. But um, you know, that's the that's the ultimate goal for me personally. Um, you know, for I don't know what that looks like. I'm, 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 we're, I'm exploring that right now, kind of thinking of like, okay, well, maybe it's plant a vineyard. Well, that's going to be a very long, arduous task, um, you know. And and none of this has come, uh, you know, that quickly. I guess uh, being patient is is good. But I think if you if you dedicate yourself to a thing that you want to do, the the rest of it will start to open up and happen but you got to care about the thing you're doing you got to care about you got to want to do the job that you have set out to do and all of that other stuff you know hopefully falls into place as you as you wade through it but um you know i don't know what the future holds for me i uh you know i like my job i like i like i like where i where i am and i get to uh you know I get to learn a, a, a huge amount with a, a lot of different variables, and especially in trying to make trying to make wines um, in a certain way or to try to fit a flavor profile. That's a great learning experience. I think everyone should go through. Is, you know, listen to someone else tell you how to make a wine and figure out how to do it. That's a, that's incredibly important because if you can't do that, you're not going to be able to listen to yourself and get there. Um, so I, I think I think trying to wrap your mind around that is the most important thing um and as long as i'm learning i feel like i'm i feel like i'm winning uh <laughs> i don't i don't know if that's a if that's i don't know how that monetarily works out but uh it makes me feel it makes me feel good um and i think that uh i think that um we'll figure it out. I mean, it's a, it's a, this is a thing that we've, we dove head first into and has seemingly started to float itself. And, uh, you know, I'm very, I'm very hopeful for the future. And, and if, look, if it's, if it's in, if it's next year, if it's in 10 years, I'll still be happy if we can get there. You know, uh, there's, there's, uh, there's not a huge, huge rush. Uh, but I'm, 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 uh, I'm hopeful and I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it regardless of the time that it takes, I think. Uh, or I'm gonna try to, <laughs> um, but every 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 piece, every piece has worked out pretty well so far. Um, even though they're difficult, um, you know, it's a. I don't know how to I don't know how to make an analogy for it. <laughs> I was gonna try and sound smart, but 
Well, why start now? But I'm not. I'm, I'm just kidding. But I'm, but I'm not smart, so I'll just I'll leave it at that. Uh, <laughs> I'm not smart. I'm, I, I just run into walls all the time. Uh, no, I, 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 I'm very excited about what we've been able to accomplish. Um, both in, in just regular, you know, in my, in my day-to-day job, um, what we've been able to overcome and grow in a, in a, in a crazy way in a couple of years. That's been a really, um, a, a huge part of learning, of my learning process and, you know, why I think I feel a little bit confident to do a thing that is very hard and I'm still not that confident. <laughs> All right, so the questions that I have for you, is there anything I didn't ask that I should have? Anything we didn't cover that we should have covered? I don't think so. I think uh pretty comprehensive. I I feel like I've rambled plenty. I mean, you're a winemaker. That's just we just we just take that as part of the assumption. Yeah, we just jibber jabber all day long. That's it. We always build an extra half an hour for. We're excited to get out of the cellar, and we're like, people, there's people here. Let's talk to them. Yeah, no, listen to all the things I do. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Your time stories uh, for the random chicken uh, incursions and yeah. all the rest, and uh, we'll go ahead and let you off. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all our supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have helped make our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you from the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield University with a very special thank you to all the Linfield Archive students who have contributed to these oral history interviews over the years.